Hey everybody, this is Vesna Luca and you're listening to Summa and Friends, the show for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. On the show today, Rainer Indal, founder and managing partner of Summa Equity, and Christian Sinding, CEO of the global investment firm EQT. Today, we want to talk about the power of impact of the private equity industry. So the question is, how well does it help solve some of society's most pressing problems? It is painfully clear that we have very little time to change that incoming tide that is climate crisis. And failure to do so will expose us all to extreme weather events, to acute food and water insecurity, to biodiversity loss and economic and social instability. So we all need to act now and we all have a part to play. So Christian, given this backdrop on a scale from one to 10, how conscious do you think and how committed is actually the private equity industry to solve some of these society's most pressing problems? Mm. I think it's a, it's a great question and I'm an optimist. So uh, I would give us a, a fairly high ranking, probably around eight, but there's of course a dispersion around this, this number where uh, some people in our industry and some firms in our industry are really taking a lead and really driving towards positive future transformation and others are still uh, probably stuck in the more Milton Friedman-esque uh, way of, of thinking about the world. So, so there's definitely a spread. So maybe I'd rather put it in a trend. The trend is quite positive, uh, but we all need to get together to drive that trend even faster. Mm. And, and Rainier, what, what do you say? So I think uh, the natural tendency of private equity is to improve companies. And as long as the, the, the company is fulfilling a positive purpose in society, that is uh, something that natural will happen in, in the private equity industry. I do think uh, the, the issue is a bit that everyone has been focusing on one business and uh, creating value in that business. Well, what you're addressing is really we have to start with the problem. And that's a bit the way Summa has gone about. So intentionally looking at the problem and how do we solve that problem? I think that shift hasn't happened in the industry. That doesn't mean that the industry as such is not focusing on, on the problems, but they happen to focus on them rather than being intentional around them. So I think there's a shift going there. So I think uh, the results can maybe be what Christian is, is saying, but I think if you ask how many firms are intentionally addressing some of these problems uh, in their investment uh, approach, I think that's a low score still, but increasing. So Christian, what do you think is uh, the most kind of important superpower to have in, in today's private equity world? Mm. You know, I, I think we have the superpowers. You mm. know, private equity, we have, we have the time, uh, we have the capital, uh, we have the governance model. We have, uh, you know, we have all the tools that we actually need to drive positive transformation or to, uh, you know, to try to, to find better solutions to these problems that, that Rainer was was exemplifying. So, uh, so the superpowers are there and it's rather, you know, how do we activate them? You know, what, uh, what's the magic potion that will make everybody drink, drink that and see, and see that we actually have it all. Uh, and I think many people feel when we're talking about sustainability, ESG, they feel somehow restricted that, that some of the initiatives around this way of thinking is coming from a control 
perspective or from a regulatory perspective. Uh, but that's not what it's about. This is actually about you know making investments in companies that can make the planet or and or society a better place to be. And how do you think about that as an owner? Well, as an owner, you can actually you can set the strategy, you can set the capital structure, you can drive innovation in the right areas, and you can bring in thinking like, okay, how do I become in a company which uses a lot of energies? You know, it's, it's actually quite easy. Okay, I use a lot of energy. How how can I actually help? You know, bring that energy from a totally different source than in the past, and that creates a you know that creates obviously opportunities for innovation, for a new talent to come in, and ultimately, I think when you're driving that kind of positive change, you're also going to make companies much more valuable and future-proofed, uh, and thereby also when you bring this all together, creating more positive financial returns. So we have the superpowers; people just need to see the light. Mm. And what will make them see that light? I think what's missing is this. I think people are, are a little bit afraid, you know, to, for example, setting uh, science-based targets for a company uh, to commit to, you know, to a, a much more, you know, an agenda of driving uh, diversity, new types of people coming into your business with different backgrounds, uh, different cultural understandings, different way of thinking. That can be a little bit scary for people or to dare to invest in, in true, driving true business transformation. Like one example that we have at EQT is really interesting. It's actually a Norwegian business and we happen to be Norwegian. We own the largest ferry company in Norway and we've committed to completely electrifying the entire fleet. And actually we're also on top of that going to the next level of innovation, which is, which is actually creating the first hydrogen-based ferry in the world. And, and of course, that's scary. It's scary for the board. It's scary for the owners. It's scary for the management to commit to such an agenda when you have hundreds of ferries delivering an essential service to society. But on flipping it around, you know, imagine when, we're, when we've com- you know, converted all these ferries and we have a truly future-proof business. That's an amazing company with, with a truly innovative new products, an energized workforce, happier clients, cleaner environment around. So there's a real win-win among stakeholders. But you have to have the guts to do it. So I think uh, hopefully some of these podcasts and, and good examples uh, mm. will prove that this is the right way to go and will, you know, the movement will go forward. If you care enough, you will have the courage to do something important. Mm-hmm. I think that what's make EQT a little bit different from some of the other large biodecative firms that I see. Because uh, Chris is, uh, Kristen is absolutely right that the superpowers uh, of private equity are there. You know, we have the governance control, we have the long-term view. And what Christian is talking about is how to put sustainability and purpose into this equation and be genuine and authentic about it. And that's extremely important. I see a lot of firms call it more greenwashing or highlighting things they're doing. And I think the superpowers can backfire if you tell, you know, you're doing this and that, and then the employees or the customers and, and the ecosystem sees that, that it's not authentic, it's not genuine. Mm. So it's uh, very important, I think, to be authentic and real about it. And that's where EQT, I I'm, I'm really admire what Christian uh, and EQT have been doing around this. I don't think everyone sees, they might try to copy it, but if they're not genuine and authentic about it, mm. it's going to backfire and going to make them under, underperform. Yeah. I think it comes from our our heritage, actually. You know, where we were founded, uh, you know, uh, out of the um, the Wallenberg family, ultimately, and the team that started EQT. You know, we had a motto at the time, which was more than capital. 
And this was a time when, when private equity was all about finance, actually, and all about, uh, you know, leveraged buyouts, it was even called. It wasn't called private equity or private ownership or anything like this. It was called leveraged buyouts. And it was, it was, uh, it was also coming from more from a control element, you know, buy a good company, control the cash flows and make a return on your equity. That wasn't the case with EQT. We, we barely had a financial model when we started. It was about, you know, doing more than capital. And then we've, of course, built on that. Now we say our purpose is to future-proof companies and make a positive impact, which is actually the same thing. It just sounds cooler and it's more modern and, and, and trying to be more inclusive about, you know, the kind of language you use in today's society. But I think you're right, Reiner. It's, it's, uh, it's really about uh, the genuine belief. What we, of course, have to do is continuously work on that internally with all of our stakeholders, our board members, our management teams. But they understand that we fundamentally believe that by making companies more sustainable for the long term, that will be a much more successful strategy also for us as a firm and even our clients, uh, and then ultimately all stakeholders. And when that starts to resonate, you know, it really creates a lot of energy and a lot of uh, positive vibes that people want to be a part of. If you look at sort of what's happening over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of focus around ESG and then more now around sustainable investing. Investors have been searching for, for green investment opportunities and you've seen the stock market go up and then come down and crash. And it seems now after, uh, after the invasion of Ukraine and the energy prices, now there's sort of a, a little bit of a backlash and, and energy prices are going, oil and gas is okay again. You know, uh, defense investments are okay. There's been talk about sort of ESG not being that important. So I, I get sort of the, the reminiscence of, uh, of the dot-com, you know, mm. boom and, and, uh, and bust. How do you see this, call it ESG.com uh, comparison and, and the future of sustainable investing in ESG? Yeah, I think there's some, um, some negativity around uh, ESG, the, the terminology in, for some, in some way. And I think it maybe it comes from the fact that this was a, you know, a lot of the ESG elements started from a more controlling or avoiding risk types of, of thinking. And I think a lot of business people naturally don't really like regulation. They don't like more controls. They would rather have more freedom to drive more innovation. But I think that's actually the wrong attitude. That's not the point of ESG. And, and that's why we use words like purpose, purpose-driven investing or, or, or you know, thinking about long-term sustainability or investing for the long-term, whatever the terminology might be. And this is really about long-term value creation. Uh, you know, it's really, uh, you know, for all the stakeholders around. And if the stakeholders aren't with you in a company, ultimately that company won't succeed. So I think it's a, it's a lot more, and this actually happened internally too. You know, we were an early signatory to UNPRI and, and we had a lot of measurements and things like this. And this, that didn't really drive much change because it was boring, to be honest. Uh, but when we started really thinking about it, okay, if you, if you, if you can make a company, uh, help a company become much more sustainable for the long term, that company compared to another company in exactly the same industry will ultimately become more successful. It'll have better relationships with regulators, better relationship with customers, a more future-proof value chain. It'll certainly attract more talent, uh, as Reiner is seeing to Summa or we're seeing to EQT. You know, we we attract talent because of because we fundamentally believe this is a an inspirational and interesting way to uh, to build companies and ultimately drive returns. So I think you're you're onto something there, Reiner. That that a lot of the negativity around you even see it now with Elon Musk's uh, Twitter yesterday and, and Mike Pence last week that are criticizing ESG was I, I don't think they're actually criticizing the fact that 
that we need to create more sustainable companies for the long term. But it's a lot about this control and regulation and negativity side of it. And um, and and I think it's so. It hopefully we are some of our jobs to show that you know you can create a lot of value for all stakeholders, including the shareholders, by thinking long term. And uh, Christian, is there anything that worries you profoundly? And also, is there anything that in particular gives you a lot of hope? I mean, if you look at what's happened over the past couple of years, uh, a pandemic, which actually was a kind of a gray swan, you know, it's, it's not that it was off the charts, but nobody was prepared for it. No, you know, no countries, no companies, very few people in the world were even imagining it was possible, but we knew it was a possibility, actually. A war in, uh, you know, on the borders of Europe, you know, during our lifetime is also concerning. And what we're seeing now in the aftermath of that is, uh, you know, uh, you know, higher inflation, supply chains being challenged, food insecurity. You know, there are all kinds of things coming out of this that we also didn't really foresee. Maybe we could have, but we didn't. And I think I think many people could have foreseen the war as well. Another grace one. So it concerns me that we're not prepared for these kinds of things. And then the knee-jerk reaction is, okay, now we have to rebuild our fossil-based uh, fuel sources. And what's you know what is that going to do for the world? Nothing good, really. Uh, you know, we actually should turn it around and say we should we should now accelerate investments into sustainable energy, because that's the only thing that will keep us away from this kind of crisis, but at the same time, uh, not ruining the world. So that is concerning, and it's a big question. And you know, we have our you know small part to play by by being good owners. Yeah, that is that is concerning, and I think there's a lot much debate around that. And in the financial markets too, you know, if you read Norwegian newspapers, which is an oil-based society or Texas-based newspapers, it's all about, yes, you know, now, uh, now we're back. You know, we can invest in all these rigs and all these things uh, rather than saying, yes, energy prices are high. So we can actually really make uh, renewable energy incredibly profitable and successful. So that, that concerns me that we, that the world kind of falls back into a negative cycle. Um, and I thought I, I had some hope that we were out of that. Yeah, I don't know what you think, Reiner. What's uh, what's on your mind when you think about the, you know, what are you most concerned about? So what I'm hopeful uh, around, <laughs> and optimistic yeah, around, is that the the uh, the megatrend is so strong that everyone cares about it. So although we'll see a bit of a uh, a backlash now with investments in oil and gas and uh, and the increase in CO2 emittance we've seen, I, I think that will also be short lived because I think the megatrend is is so strong. It is concerning when you see sort of the short-term interests, how overwhelming that can be when uh, some of these problems are more longer term. So it is the short term versus the long term. This sustainability revolution, I agree with you, it's, it's, it's unstoppable. So, so those that are going to work against it, they're going to end up on the wrong side of the, you know, on the wrong side of the bubble. And they're going to miss the, if you take it in investing terms, they're going to miss the, you know all the fangs, you know, and Google and Apple and Facebook and all these companies, which uh, which helped create a whole new uh, you know way of doing business and an incredible amounts of value. So, so I believe also in the positive revolution, uh, but I think it's fascinating how quickly we fall back into uh, this, this other mode. On the hopeful side, so that's you know that is hopeful side. Now on the hopeful side, I think it's the younger generation. You know, it's the uh, it's our children and uh, you know Reiner's daughter who. Spent uh, half a year, you know, in, in the Lofoten Islands, helping clean up the environment there as part of her school, actually. And you know, my daughter challenging me when uh, when she went to a Greta Thunberg rally, you know, oh, Papa, what are you guys doing? 
uh, you know, yeah, how, how are you thinking about this, these challenges in the world? And that, that next generation, you know, they're challenging us, but I think it's with a, it's with a good mindset. You know, it's like, wow, okay, lift your eyes up and think about the future. And that's, uh, that's inspirational. So you built in this sustainability as a natural component into everything you do at EQT, but, but how did you do that? I mean, what, what has been the biggest challenge and, and what, do you, uh, what did you change really to make it work? Mm, that's a really good question. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time on that, uh, actually, before we really launched this, this journey we're on. And um, actually, we call it a purpose journey. And uh, I took over as CEO about three and a half years ago. And, and I had a lot of discussions with people, including Reiner, you know, how do you, how do you make this kind of thinking really ubiquitous in everything we do? And uh, my colleague Casper said, hey, you know, yes, we have the, the background and the history and we want to do this, but there's still a, long, a big saying doing gap. You know, we're still not nearly as good at this as we, as we are already then we're saying we were. So how do we close the saying doing gap? I met Paul Pullman and some other uh, people as well. And, and then I, 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 I started this journey and uh, we called it the purpose journey. Uh, and it was to bring everybody in the firm along. So every single person at the firm. So I met, I traveled around, met all the different teams. And then we actually, uh, this, we started with setting our purpose. And I told you the old purpose, the new purpose is future-proofing companies and making a positive impact. And we had future-proofing companies actually as our purpose in between here. And we added making a positive impact after that, after that initial start. And impact was really play on words. One is being an active owner. And the other one, of course, is positive impact or sustainability or whatever you want to call it. And then we've 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 taken this journey at the executive committee and uh, and then all the different investment committees and teams and operations at EQT and every every single team has been through a journey. And we've had some help with from Imagine, uh, which is Paul Pullman's unit on on how to shift mindsets actually. And we've shifted mindsets and we put ourselves way into the future. And we've said, okay, what you know, if we're ten years ahead. And we look back, are we going to be one of the, the positive influencers or the positive action takers in this movement? Uh, or are we going to let someone else take the lead? And we're like, no, of course we need to take the lead. You know, it's kind of obvious. And then, so we kind of inspired and brought everybody along. And then we've started setting goals, very concrete goals. So we started with very simple diversity goals and, uh, and emission goals. We said every single company has to, uh, has to drive more diversity in the boards and management teams, set some goals there. And we set a simple goal that every single company we own has to move to renewable energy. If you have zero today, you have to move to, uh, you know, you have to move to the next level. If you have 50%, you have to go to 100%. If you have to 100%, you have to think about net positive. And so everybody, we started you know, getting everybody moving. And then slowly but surely, we've, we've set hairier targets. We set science-based targets. And we were linking now compensation to sustainability goals and all the financing. So all of our external finances are also linked to sustainability goals. That was actually a big shift too. So it was like the purpose thing, a travel, a journey on the one hand side, and it was the uh, setting clear goals and putting even financial targets behind them in compensation. Because then people say, ah, oh, I can actually see that this has an impact very quickly. And I understand the long term is very important, but if I also have these shorter term goals, uh, it's motivating. So that also drove a lot of positive change. And we're still in the middle of it now. We're, we're just finalizing our first let's say the first leg on the journey uh, and now we're starting the next leg and uh, uh, hopefully that will take us even beyond where we are today. And what is the ne second leg? We're calling it our, instead of our footprint, we're calling it our handprint. What kind of handprint do we want to leave behind as owners? 
Mm-hmm. And we're starting to talk about, and this is just starting, so I don't know where it's going to end, but uh, we're starting to talk about, we said net zero by 2040, but that's not really, that's not really good enough. Uh, and, it's, that, and it doesn't work. We own 150 companies, so it doesn't work for every company. You know, some are much faster, some are going to be slower. Uh, but how do we become net positive? How do, we, how do we think about being regenerative? Can we bring biodiversity into, our, into the way that we develop our companies? Even if you're a software company, how do you think about, you know, your impact on the environment from a biodiversity point of view, which is important, you know, circularity, which uh, Reiner has also been very early on that theme, you know, creating circular business models and, um, and investing with, a, with, you know, the whole cycle in mind. Those are the themes we're going to cover. Maybe on a later podcast, we can see, uh, you know, in a few years, we can see what the, res- you know, what the, what the final goals are and, few years later, hopefully some good results as well. You haven't launched an impact fund. All the other, you know, other funds have launched impact products. Mm. But you have gone a different route, making all of EQT focusing on sustainability and impact. Just explain a little bit, why are some going, uh, having an impact fund and, and, and you not? I think it's because it's, it's actually hard to, you know, to, to make the statement we, you know, to have a positive impact with everything we do, it's hard to meet, right? So it's, um, but we think it's the right way to go because we think, like I said, becoming more sustainable actually will also drive better returns. And right now, EQT is performing incredibly well. Uh, so there's some proof in the pudding. It's, it's hard to do that. And it's a big journey, like we just talked about, and then you're never finished. So, of course, it's easier to go and say, hey, I'm going to start now with an impact strategy uh, and have a very targeted you know, very targeted and, and kind of closed loop around that. And you can hire talent who understands it and accelerate it. So there's not, it's not necessarily bad, but I think it only, it of course only scratches the surface. Uh, and I think our clients, most of them are pension funds around the world and sovereign wealth funds uh, who, you know, who have different values uh, than just financial returns. And those values, I think are, you know, the clients are actually going to demand that we as owners, because they, they understand that we have the, you know, the, the, the power to do it. They're going to demand that we, take care of, uh, of our companies in a, in a very responsible way. So for us, this is about staying ahead of the curve as well. You know, before, before the customers really demand it, before the regulators demand it, we want to be there and then have it be inspirational and, and, a, and a movement instead of something that you're forced to do. So yes, I do think that others will follow. There are some that are taking action right now. And it comes back to leadership. I think, you know, in our industry there, there are... There are a lot of great deal makers and investors, but um, there aren't that many great leaders. I think that you know you need real leadership uh, in each company and industry to actually drive this kind of change. Uh, that's probably and that's also why you started Summa, right? Or because you you felt like uh, you needed a different environment to to create your vision within, uh, and that's that's actually important. So I think it's a call to other leaders in the industry to. To, to, to dare to, yeah, back to the gutsy thing, you know, to dare to actually drive this and do it everywhere. Yeah, and Summa has been focusing on, on companies which are already sustainable and net positive relative to the SDGs. But most industries uh, need to transition from brown to green. So, so what is your role, EQT's role in this? We also find it, of course, easier to accelerate something that's already greenish to more green. Or uh, that's... Uh, you know, there's a natural trend there that you can just uh, accelerate and drive forward. We are doing some gray to green, uh, particularly in our you know infrastructure business and our real estate business. 
Uh, real estate is actually fascinating because you can, you know, you can change a building very quickly and have a huge positive impact. So the leader of our, of our real estate business, Ward, from Pennsylvania, he's like, we're, there's no doubt that we're going to be the best at this internally at EQT because you know, we can change a building within a year with power sources, with, uh, with how you design it, also the social elements around it, et cetera, because it's very tangible, right? Well, impacting a software company, you have to think about scope three emissions and all these things, much more complicated. So that's a, it's a fun debate internally. We'd like to do you know, more brown to green. I think the example of the ferries I gave is one. Another one is uh, we, have the, we own the largest company within uh, you know, American yellow school buses in the world. We have 60,000 school buses. And uh, most people will say that that sounds like a really boring investment, but it's actually very interesting when you think about that each of these local communities that we're providing services within, we're going to electrify those buses. So, you, so again, you're creating, you know, you have to create the charging station networks. You have to create new innovation. You have to have employees come in and help you drive that change. The drivers are going to have to learn totally new skills, all these things. So there's a lot of positive environmental and social elements around that strategy, and it becomes a much more interesting company for the next owner or the stock exchange. Uh, so we do do you know uh, quite a bit of brown to 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 green. I think the really hard part is you know black, you know, the black, which is you know what do you do with a coal mine? You know uh, that's that we haven't figured out yet. You know, and in the private equity world, when we own companies for five to seven years or whatever, if you're going to wind down a coal mine, what what do you do with it? Then you're stuck with a stranded asset, and and it's hard to have an alternative use. So we haven't yet figured out. Um, how to attack that part of uh, of industry, and uh, that's a complicated one. And and I had an interesting discussion the other day with um, the team at Focusing Capital on the long term. And and uh, the one idea that came up in that discussion was maybe we should create a resolution trust in like company, like the, you know the ones that cleaned up the savings and banks uh, in a loan crisis in America, where you create actually a huge global fund to handle those really difficult to transition assets with good capital rather than in, rather than those assets ending up in you know in hands that maybe they shouldn't be and aren't driving the transition. It's a big question, that one, really big. Let's talk about metrics a little bit. We love to measure stuff. We we love to measure things that truly matters. But what does matter and what should we measure, Christian? I mentioned earlier the problem of you know, measure, you know, this industry starting with a very controlling or this themes starting with a very controlling mindset. So that's been hard. And nobody, I would say, not many people still understand the environmental side. You know, who, who understands what GHG emissions really is in scope three? I mean, it's very, very complicated to, you know, intellectually gather how many tons and, and all that stuff. What you can understand, though, is change, right? You can understand that, okay, last year we admitted 1,000. This year we only admitted 800. And we grew revenues by, you know, twenty percent. That's good. You know, that, so I think it needs to be more. We need to look more at the movement, at the, at, you know, the incremental change that, that we're driving. And there's this one initiative, which you know Harvard and and um, and uh, actually Reiner and some others are involved in. That's um, that I find really interesting, where you're measuring these externalities in dollar terms. So you go away from saying GHG emissions or whatever it is, but say, okay, the negative externalities are today worth a uh, hundred and you grow the company and next year the externalities are only worth 80 or 70 or 60, then you're clearly, um, you know, creating value for society, both in terms of how you're building the business, but also becoming 
less negative to either society or the environment. And that I think is also a very easy way to do it, to put dollar, you know, put a dollar amount on it. Everybody understands a dollar. So that to me, there's something that has to happen on movement and simplicity. And that's, that's not solved yet in my view. I agree. I mean, we measure the, uh, the financial return on our investments in the product industry with the internal rate of return. But we're t- really talking about if we could also measure the external rate of return. So mm. how much, what's, uh, what's the return for society from our companies? So the externalities. And I do believe that those are getting more and more aligned. I think historically, investors have been looking at this as a bit of a trade-off. If you created too much positive value for society, you weren't making enough financial value. And that has changed. So these are becoming more collinear. And, and I think that's the shift we're seeing. And that's what we should be measuring as well. Christian, you've been talking about the license to operate. Yeah. And I think this is getting more and more. That's the shift in the industry. And I don't think the industry has fully recognized it yet. So the license to operate going forward has to be based on that you're creating value for society, not only for your shareholders. Yeah, fully agree. And um, and there there are another another challenge here is there are so many people trying to figure out how to measure this. So uh, so it gets in the meantime it gets even more confusing. Uh, and I, I think it'd be so we need to find some kind of way to um, to agree on this external rate of return or, or however you define it. I think that's a very good way to say it because it's. They all they come they are anyway interlinked, truly interlinked. And it's, if we don't, uh, you know, if we don't take care as as owners and stewards of capital, then ultimately some you know our license to operate will be restricted, and we won't be successful for our clients, and then we won't be successful as firms. So it really comes back to to you know doing good is good business. But how would you like to challenge CEOs of other P firms? It's about uh, daring to actually have these honest conversations and to admit uh, where, uh, like I mentioned, the saying doing gap that we, that we had. And we, of course, we still have because you're always, you have some vision and you have to, you know, have to somehow deliver on that vision. You know, are we perfect on, uh, you know, on diversity? No, we have, you know, we have a goal of having, you know, 40% diversity in our, uh, in our boards. I think we're only at 27% or something like this, but, but the movement is massive. A few years ago, we only had 2%. And again, on diversity, we have, I think, 17% of our partners now are, are female. And uh, through, you know, five years ago, it was only 1% or 2%. So the, the movement is positive. Uh, but we also have to admit that one-sixth of our partners being female uh, is, is not a very diverse, uh, from a, at least from a gender point of view, <laughs> a diverse group of people. So it's also about you know, being honest about where you are and what you need to do to meet the goals. You mentioned it also earlier in the conversation, Reiner, the, the greenwashing. And I think the greenwashing is that, that people are afraid of showing that you actually have a long way to go. Uh, but if you turn that around, it's only upside, right? Uh, so, uh, so having the guts to, to both show your vulnerabilities and then go for the change, uh, that's, that would be my challenge. Hmm. Talking about um, vulnerability and I would like to ask you, Christian, what, what, what's deeply driving you? You know, how would you express your kind of deepest purpose with who you are and then link to that what you do? I think it's pretty simple. It's, uh, it's actually wanting to, uh, to make a difference, to have an impact. That, I think that goes for everything in, in, in my life that, 
let's say EQT becomes a very stable company and just there's this kind of day-to-day work, then I'm probably the wrong CEO. That's not my, uh, that's not what I get inspired by. So I like to, you know, to drive change and to try new things and, and do that with a positive mindset. Um, and when I'm luckily to be in this position to be allowed to do that, that's, uh, that's very inspirational. So I think that that's it. <laughs> Rainer, what about you? I think the purpose has changed a bit over the years. And uh, uh, I, I, I do focus on problems and, uh, and where can I do a meaningful t- uh, uh, have a meaningful role in in in, in solving those uh, problems. I'm very inspired now by how the private equity industry has been moving and how Christian EQT, as one of the largest firms, have really been been driving some of this. Summa is still a small firm, and but what my, makes me want to wake up every day is that there are a few challenges which I think we can meaningful affect. So waste and recycling is one of those areas where. Uh, where I'm passionate about. Not too many people are passionate about waste, but waste is nearly 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions. And we need to recycle it. We are now using 1.8 times the planet. So my purpose now in, uh, in, in the next 10, 20 years is trying to have a meaningful uh, impact on uh, making waste uh, go away. Mm, that's great. And I have to tell a tiny little story. And that's uh, when I turned 40, uh, which is now almost 10 years ago, Reiner made a speech at my birthday. And, uh, and he said, Chris, now you've been very successful. Uh, you're leading again, this private equity part of EQT uh, and you own all these companies and you have a lot of power. You know, are you using that power enough for good? You know, are you really, you know, taking that, you know, this is a little bit this conversation. You know, or do you have the, do you have the guts? Uh, I think you do. Do you have the guts to, uh, to really drive this positive change? I think it's, it's, you know, and I, I have, yes, and still, and it's still a long way to go, but, but that's, that's important to have people around you who, uh, uh, you know, push you and inspire you. And I'll, you know, I'll never forget that day. And, you know, it put me on a, on a more rapid path and gave me that, you know, that confidence to, uh, to drive this positive change. So maybe that's uh, another way to go and impact the rest of the industry is to, you know, put the challenge out there like that. Hmm. <laughs> so Christian, what do you want to be remembered for? Well, as a person, I just want to be remembered for someone who's been a good guy and uh, and had uh, you know a good life with good friends and family. In uh, in business, I'd like to be remembered for what I'm doing now. Actually, you know, taking a lead in, in this you know very large and important industry on on driving you know positive transformation in companies and and proving that that actually also results in in better results for everyone involved, including our clients. And at a critical moment. Yes. So you know, if we're going to make this change, we need firms like EQT um, and the others in the industry to make that change. And they have to make that change now. If not, uh, it's not going to happen and we're too late. We're already a bit too late. There's a critical moment. And, I, and, and I'm truly inspired uh, uh, with what you're doing, Christian, and how you've been able to both grow EQT so rapidly and transform and building on what you had, so it was easier for you given the heritage of, of EQT. But it's still a massive transformation that you have done, and uh, and the leadership you have uh, have taken it is it's truly inspiring. And who is your role model, Chris? Do you have one? I've never been a kind of role model type of person, really. But I I have uh, people that inspire me and challenge me, and uh, I actually mentioned some already. So uh, so those that uh, that are. Uh, you know, some of the people that have 
helped me find this route. Uh, you know, like I said, Paul Pullman, uh, his colleague uh, Kies Kretov, uh, who, leave, who leads uh, Live Kindly, which is a leading plant-based chicken company uh, in the world. They're both leaders who have been on this journey and started on this journey earlier and are pretty gutsy in setting, uh, you know, these hairy goals, even if you don't know exactly how you're going to meet them. So that was, that's one, one kind of category of persons, you know, people around me in the industry or in EQT. I mean, we talked about Reiner already, uh, and, uh, we have a lot of great conversations and I have, uh, you know, colleagues internally like Bahar, who's running our, you know, sustainable transformation, uh, business and. And, uh, you know, we think we're pretty progressive until I you know, speak with her and then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I still have a long way to go, you know? <laughs> so having people around me internally and, you know, and Connie and, and Pear and others uh, who are, you know, pushing and inspiring. And then more personally, I think, uh, actually, it's, uh, it comes back to, to, to you know, to, to family as well. You know, when I, you know, when I talk with my kids and I think about their future and, uh, and uh, in particular, my daughter, my, my son is still pretty young. So my daughter's now 18 and she's, uh, you know, moving out into the world and, and listening, you know, having conversations with her about what she cares about and what her network cares about. And one of her friends said to me the other day, you know, you grew up, Chris, with, uh, with knowing that everything would be better when you were older. So you could just put your head down and work and you know, everything would be fine. And that was actually pretty true. Uh, and, he, and he said it was a little bit depressing in one way, but hopefully we can drive change. He said, uh, we're not sure everything will be fine. So our generation is different. And that was like, whoa, that was a pretty uh, you know, intense wake-up call. So I like having those conversations with, uh, with the next generation. Actually, next week I have a meeting with the next generation of talents at EQT, which I do every, uh, every year or so. And I'm sure that I'm yeah, going to have some wake-up calls then too. Hmm. Great. If we go into some kind of helicopter mode here now and ask, uh, what does the world need most right now, Christian? I think I have to use the word peace mm. because it's uh, yeah. There's there's there is quite a lot of strife uh, around the world, and I think you know the Ukraine crisis is maybe this the the best example of it. But you see this if we don't cooperate across borders and across companies and industries and between business and, and society, you know, peace in a broader sense, then uh, we're not going to be successful in, in making the planet healthier. Uh, uh, so, um, so I think it has to be peace. Rainier? Courageous leadership. What Christian has been doing in, in EQT, what Paul Polman did in, in, in Unilever. We need people to set some uh, examples and, and how to transition uh, into getting that uh, that piece. I, I'm amazed that in the world we're living in that we see things like uh, the, the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, we have a planet that has abundance. We can solve all of these issues. Why are we not solving it? We were able to solve somewhat the pandemic. So these problems, if we cooperate, like Christian is saying, we can solve. And we need much more courageous leadership in making that happen and, and, and cooperate to create it. Great. So my, my last question is this one. What do you wish is really the main conclusion or, or takeaway in, in the minds and in the hearts of the people who are listening to this right now? It's really about understanding that for us as owners to, to actually take the responsibility and opportunity to make companies more sustainable for the long term will actually meet all of our goals both the financial ones that we set for 
our clients, which are pretty important because they're pensioners that are that are actually dependent on those returns. So it's very important from a societal point of view as well. So we have to meet those financial returns. But to meet the financial returns, we need to make companies you know, more sustainable for the future. And we need to find solutions to those, those problems that we haven't yet solved. And those solutions have to be in line with what the planet and society needs uh, and not a, a short-term thinking for short-term gain. So it's, it's those two things coming together. I completely agree, agree with that. So the external rate of return has to be positive. If not, your internal rate of return is not going to be positive and you're going to lose your license to operate. So we need to move capital uh, to having a more of a moral purpose and create value through creating value for society. That's the only way that we are going to survive as an industry and be able to, to create the positive returns for, for our investors. Great. Thank you so much, Christian. It was really lovely to have you here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, uh, and thanks, Rainier. Thanks for sharing everything. This is Summa and Friends, the show that inspires and guides you on how we together can create a wiser future. Listen to unique leaders and experts exploring the challenges we are facing and revealing their stories about the solutions and how to get there. Episodes are released bi-weekly on your favorite podcast platform. And the week after, we release an in-depth blog article to help you capture the core ideas from the dialogues and how you can help move things forward. Summa and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on summaequity.com slash podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. We hope it has inspired you to reflect on what you can do to contribute. And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you've been listening to Summa and Friends. And until next time, live with purpose and be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm.